Father, we come before you at this time, and Lord, what a what a busy time it is, even though it's summer when it seems like there ought to be uh, more margin uh, for us to, to have in our lives. God, so much is going on. Our society is in turmoil. Uh, Lord, our country is in turmoil. Uh, the world is in turmoil. Lord, some of our lives are in turmoil. All of us are affected by economy and gas prices and food prices and everything else. All of us, Lord, that that brings hardship. Um, things that bring hardship exist in all of our lives. Lord, we need you to speak to us today. Lord, we want to submit our minds and our wills to what your word says. We want to walk out of here refreshed by your grace because of the relationship we know we have with the Holy Spirit. For we ask it today in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. So, uh, so that hymn that we just, uh, just sung, Lift Every Voice, is uh, kind of a, uh, has the past, it has, it has proclamation, it has, uh, you know, past historical references, it, it has vision for the future. And if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, because Ephesians 4, if you are a Christian, it is likewise a history of your past, a proclamation for the present, and it sets a vision for the future, because while all Christians are overcomers, not all believers are overcoming. Hello, somebody. So let me open a window on that word because some of us are living in spiritual Juneteenth. I mean, it doesn't happen often, but but today, Father's Day also happens to be Juneteenth, which is the oldest known celebration of the end of slavery. And so on June 19th, 1865, Union soldiers landed at Galveston, Texas, and they brought the news that two slaves that the war had ended and all slaves were now free. And this was two and a half years after President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation signed January 1st, 1863. You know, that proclamation had little effect in Texas and other parts of the South because of the minimal number of Union troops to enforce that executive order. So it was not until General Lee surrendered in April 1865 Granger's Regiment in Galveston, that forces were finally strong enough to influence and to overcome the resistance. Two and a half years earlier, slaves were in the standing of free people in our nation, but it took two and a half years for them to enjoy the state of their standing. So there was a gap between the declaration of their position and the enjoyment of that position in practice. I mean, if only the message had gotten through to the ears of those who needed to hear sooner, and, and uh, you know, if only they had heard General Granger's order number three two years earlier, there would not have been a gap. But many believers today are living in the gap between Easter Sunday and Pentecost. Some of you are living with a five-year, 10-year, 20-year gap. You got saved years ago. You've been emancipated. But are you living in the same old defeat? Are you experiencing the same old witness 
because a weakness in your life, because even though you got emancipated, you are not having victory. And I know our tendency oftentimes is to blame the problem. We say, you know, I say, Alan, you know, if there weren't this problem, and the problem may be a person or the problem may be a thing or the problem may be, you know, in general, or problem may be specific, problem may be what you're thinking or how you're feeling. But, you know, Alan, if I just didn't have that problem, then I would be free. No, if, if it were not for those problems, you would not have anything to overcome. You are not in bondage because of your problem. You are in bondage because you are not faithful to your commander-in-chief. He signed the Emancipation Proclamation. What we need today is just a deep breath and the inhaling of the Holy Spirit in fellowship with us so we can experience God's grace. So 15 Sundays ago, we started a series on the Holy Spirit, and we studied having the filling of the Spirit, because unless you're filled with the Spirit, you cannot walk in the Spirit. We looked further into not grieving the Spirit, because grieving the Spirit prevents you from having the power of the Spirit. And I want to wind up this series, and I want to hone it down to three simple things today. Because I think if you get these three things, you will have the heart of this entire study, even if you have not heard all the previous messages. Uh, you know, this is this, and I chose to do this this Sunday, as opposed to some special Father's Day type of message, because this is what men and fathers are missing. Fathers with your children. Get Holy Spirit power. You get a fellowship with the Holy Ghost so that the next generation does not have the curse of sin's bondage that you may have grown up with. And so the key idea, I think, to end with is this, and this is our thesis for today's study. If you want to have the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to have fellowship with him. And often we run to the Bible to get an intellectual answer to a spiritual problem, and then we wonder why that doesn't work. So, so you know, in between the Word of God and your heart should be the Holy Spirit. And so we interpret the Bible, we understand the Bible, but we fail to go out and apply the Bible in practice in the experiences and the circumstances of our life. And you know what? We can correct that by just seeing how to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Because I believe if you have these three simple things, then you are well on your way to victory. If you want the fellowship of the Spirit, His passion. Let the whole church say passion. What is the passion of the Holy Ghost? Well, if you look on your hand, John chapter 16, I think this passage says it the best and the most completely. John 16, verse 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, okay, now that's a key thing, spirit of truth. So somehow the spirit of God and the truth of the word of God are connected. Spirit of truth, when he has come, what will he do with that truth? He will guide you into all truth. How does he do that? For he shall not speak of himself. Again, it is he's connected directly to God's words. 
but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come by doing that. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. What is the Holy Spirit receiving from Jesus and giving unto us? Well, it's the words of Jesus which are truth. John 17, verse 17. So the passion of the Spirit of God is to glorify the Son of God which comes through your faith responses to the truth of the Word of God. And you know what? You can believe God's Word. You can believe that it's that, quote, that it is true. But if you don't give a faith response to it, then your life is going to be short-circuited because there are too many things in our life that are immediate, that are visible, that are physical, that are painful, that are psychological. You know, we, we, we grow up and we are affected and influenced by everything else in our life. And we think our identity is one way because of our upbringing and, and current influences. When in actual fact, if you're born again, your identity changed and your identity is described in the word of God. But you don't see that immediately. You've got to give a, you have to see the invisible and give a faith response to what God says. Are you responding to what he is saying in his word so that in all things in your life, Jesus Christ is glorified? Is Christ's glory your passion this morning? And I don't mean, is he your Sunday morning experience? I mean, is this the driving passion of your life? Or are you swept away with other lusts and ideas and passions and desires? And is living him, living for him, loving him and lifting him up the passion of your life? Because those three things impart Holy Spirit power loving him enough to live for him and lift him up in your life. So it's not some carnival sideshow. It's not, I know how it is in summertime. They set up big tents, um, uh, you know, on the street corner, particularly in, in some urban settings. And, you know, they got fake healing spoof speaking, you know, slain in the spirit type false power. But the Holy Spirit's power is able to move mountains in your life and use you to move mountains in the lives of other people. So those who glorify Jesus by magnifying his word, they get that power. You know, here's the dealio, though. Um, Jesus only feeds hungry hearts. Matthew 5, verse 6. So if you are complacent and apathetic, if you are self-satisfied and self-sufficient, if you're okay with keeping God at arm's length, boxing God out and having maybe a halfway relationship with your Bible and, and the Holy Spirit, well, then he's not going to feed you. That's why it is so boring to you. You don't get anything out of it. It is only when you come having passion that you find the Holy Spirit giving you his provision. And that provision for passion is so awesome. Watch 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 on your handout. But we all with open face. Okay, so remove the veil. 
Get honest with God, be completely transparent, beholding as in a glass, a looking glass, the glory of the Lord. That's what we see in the Word of God. And in doing, seeing that and doing that, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So Paul likens your Bible to a looking glass mirror, which actually reflects your, the author. And so instead of this mirror reflecting back to you who you are, when you look inside, that's what happens. When you look at your heart, all it does is reflect back to you who you are. It does you absolutely no good. You have to look in the Bible and then you get to see who he he is. You see who he is. And the more you look into this mirror, the more you start looking like the author. Why? Because the Spirit and the Lord are used interchangeably there in verse 18. So when the Holy Spirit sees by your action with the Word that you have a passion for Christ, a, a passion like, like He has for Christ and the glory of Christ, then the Holy Spirit will allow the image of Christ to become stamped on your life. Now, let me just give you the bottom line. If you are in here and you claim to be a believer today, because in this very same book of Ephesians, it tells you that there will come the time when as part of the body and the bride of Christ, you will be presented to him without spot and blemish. You'll be presented to him without spot and blemish. But you need to work on getting those things ironed out and spots removed right now. Because otherwise they have to be removed at the judgment seat of Christ. Now that's not painful and that's not punishment, but that is loss of rewards. If you let the Holy Spirit work with you and through you right now to start removing those spots and blemishes, you are rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ instead of entering eternity with loss. So the the fastest way for you to change yourself is make a beeline for the Bible and then start glorifying Christ with your faith responses in life. And when you start making all your decisions and all your choices based upon that, then you will see the Holy Spirit of God automatically change you over time. See, true spirituality is not magic. It is a process. Okay, let me, let me illustrate that irrefutable idea because it's kind of like, it's not like the time that the farmer's family came into the big city. They came into the big city for the first time, never been there before. And so as the farmer's wife began to shop, then, uh, you know, him and his son, they walked into a bank, big city bank. You know, they got their coveralls on. They got their hands in their pockets. And farmer stands there and he sees these two steel doors standing wide open. And this little old lady with a cane hobbles into this small room and the, and those steel doors close and, and then some numbered lights start flashing above the doors. And a couple of minutes later, a bell sounded and the doors opened again and a 20 something full figured, beautiful woman walked out. That farmer turned to his son and he said, boy, go get your mama and get her in that machine. But God's transformations are not like that. God's transformation is like the health 
that you receive from proper nutrition. It is like the training table that the team dietitian prepares for the Chiefs. Health and strength on the field are not an overnight thing. It is the result of a progressive series of choices. So you have to learn to live by measuring every part of your life against glorifying Jesus through the operation of his word by your faith responses to it. And then ever so slowly but surely, you find yourself able to do things you thought you'd never be able to do. And and you have this power that you never had before. And when trouble hits, you have you find you, you have peace and you're like, why am I so peaceful in this? I mean, this always used to wig me out. And there's this anointing that you've not noticed before. And you progressively find yourself being transformed simply because you started to look like what you were looking at. You start to become what you are beholding. And since you made Jesus true north, You went in the right direction. So the priority of the Spirit's passion is the glorification of Jesus Christ by honoring his word in your life. So once you decide to start honoring his word by giving faith responses to it, well, then the Holy Spirit is going to honor what he says in his word, and the word of God does the work. It's not on you or your power, your strength, or you don't have any. It's not on your willpower, but it is on your faith responses. So make a beeline for him, and anything else you need will flow like a fountain, like a river of water from the Spirit of God. How do we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, church? Well, this is number two. You must promote his unity. Let the whole church say unity. The doctrine of unity is very important to fellowship because fellowship with the Spirit operates in a context of unity. So here in our base passage, Ephesians chapter 4, we must always be, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, unity does not mean uniformity. It does not mean everybody thinks the same and acts the same and looks the same. Let me hit you with the definition. Unity means oneness, which comes from a shared purpose, because the shared purpose always overshadows any division. So you can see automatically what has happened in our society. In the last hundred years, let's say, we've gone from being an agrarian type of country and economy to something, oh, quite different. And every place is urbanized. And now families where fathers and their kids used to have to work together on that farm in order to feed each other, that's not going on. There is no longer a shared purpose bigger than the individuals. The only way you can restore that is by being about God's business, doing God's farming, planting the seed of the word of God, you know, witnessing, tying your testimony to the terms of the gospel and being a witness, planting the seed, watering it. Somebody gets saved, you disciple them. That, those eternal rewards are the bigger purpose. And that shared purpose overshadows division and so preserve the oneness 
with other believers at all costs because God does not just have a purpose for you. God has a purpose for our church. And part of the fulfillment of that purpose and the rate of success at which it is achieved is predicated on your participation. If you are a believer who hurts or holds back the rest of God's family, the Spirit of God's not going to have fellowship with you. And, and if you're satisfied with that, I'm, I'm ashamed of you. I mean, some people are satisfied with the Spirit of God not having fellowship with them. They just want to proceed on their own way. But that's a sad thing. Because if you are in God's family, you are not an only child. And the Holy Spirit measures His relationship to you proportionately to your relationship with His other saints. So if you cause conflict or distraction, not just over sin, even over preferences or opinions... If you're breaking down this body instead of building up the body by preserving his unity, then the Holy Ghost will not be a participant in that. You have no fellowship with him. He will not assist you in that. Therefore, he will not assist you. Many husbands are not in fellowship with the Spirit because they've not preserved unity with their wife. Many wives are not in fellowship with the Spirit because they've not preserved oneness with their husband. Many children are not in fellowship with the Spirit because they've not produced harmony with their parents and their siblings. And so here's our first point for study. When you allow illegitimate divisions to occur in God's bigger family, you lose the benefits and blessings of being part of that family. Oh, Lord, suppose you are a cantankerous Christian, or even just a complacent Christian, it brings division to the ranks, it deflects progress toward the Holy Spirit's goal, and therefore the Spirit's presence and power is not going to be with you. We see this as we look further into our base passage, chapter 4. Look at verse 25, Ephesians 4. Wherefore, putting away lying... Speak every man truth. Speak truth through the Spirit, with the Word of God, with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Okay, Paul tells you what to stop, what to start, and then he tells you why. What to stop, what to start, why you should do this. And as he tells you the reason why, he starts talking family talk. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Um, how am I going to keep from grieving the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? All right, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So on one hand, verse 31 is human trash. And you need to get the junk out of your trunk and you need to take out your trash. On the other hand, if you view it positively, putting these things away, that is a rainbow of identity. And if 
if you should be proud, if you should have pride of anything, it ought to be in getting rid of bitterness, wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. And, you know, it's bad enough when you just fall into it because you do once in a while. It's worse when you do it with malice and plan it in advance. And so, verse 32, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Lying in the family grieves the Holy Spirit. Not edifying others in the family grieves the Holy Spirit. Prolonged and repetitive anger in your life grieves the Holy Spirit. And to grieve the Holy Spirit is not to lose your salvation because he's sealed in you from the inside, but it is to lose the blessings and the enjoyments of your salvation. So this is our second point for study. If the Spirit of God is grieved at all, He gets grieved at how you relate to other members of our family. So if you're still bitter about what your father did when you were little, if you are still bitter, then you are negating the power of the Spirit to work in you now that you are saved. That is why everything listed in verse 31 is such a major issue in counseling. As a matter of fact, since the world has no answers, they will give you medication to try and correct the things in verse 31. But if you prolong those things and you do not cure it by replacing those things with the items of verse 32... So the antidote is right here in the passage. If you don't do that, then you block the free flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. Why? 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord, hold it, is one spirit. So that means you grieve the Holy Ghost, who's now dwelling in your human spirit. And because of that, you get depressed. Your human spirit cannot have joy if it is attached to a grieving Holy Spirit. And yet, no matter what is happening on the outside, your human spirit can rejoice in the Lord as long as you are inhabited by an ungrieved Holy Ghost. So here's the most amazing thing. Most amazing thing in your life is this. You, a human being can successfully resist God. That just amazes me. Well, that's what Acts 7, verses 39 and 41 say. And I know that confounds all the hyper-Calvinists, and yet the Bible's true. You can resist the Holy Ghost at the level of fellowship. You can keep him at arm's length, even though he lives on the inside. Some of you may have been miserable for years, and you've created your own misery. And it's not that God does not want to change you. And it's not that the Bible will not or does not work for you. It's just that you refuse to change on his terms. Hello, somebody. I mean, we so refuse his terms for change. We go headlong and headstrong. I mean, we'll take, we'll take drugs. We'll go to other secular counseling. We'll try anything. We try demonic stuff. We try all sorts of stuff. You know, when drinking doesn't work and smoking doesn't work and all that, or it only changes things for a time. It only masks things. It doesn't give us the answers. And all of that just because we don't want to change on his terms. So you've got to, you got to start looking with the eye of faith. 
you've got to start seeing the things that are invisible so that you can live for eternity. Because that's where, if you're saved and born again, that's where you're going to live for eternity. You're going to live in eternity for eternity. Don't you want to be getting ready now? When you resist the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit resists you. Watch, look at Isaiah 63, verse 10. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Colon, okay, what happened? What was God's response? Well, therefore, he was turned. He repented. He turned around. He turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. Now, the Bible says that God is not a man that he should repent, so he doesn't repent that way, 1 Samuel 15, 29, because all humans repent capriciously. I mean, a person will repent on you for no reason, you know, either good or bad. They just change on you, and and it's unpredictable. But if you observe God repenting, and you do see that throughout Scripture, it is because he repents based on your repentance. That's another thing that can confuse the hyper-Calvinist. But what is the fellowship you have with the Holy Spirit like? Do you make him worried? Do you make him pained? Do you hurt him? Do you make him displeased? Because that is what it means to vex. It is the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament word grieved. So this is our third point for study. The way to ungrieve the Holy Ghost is to stop resisting what he says with reference to what you do concerning his mission through this body to contribute to eternity. Stop living in the gap of your spiritual Juneteenth. Say, Alan, what does that mean in practical terms? Well, if it's not practical, it's not preaching. Okay, I'm not preaching if I haven't made it practical. So let's draw down for you what you need to do in order to apply the Bible in life. Look at verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Okay, kind, tenderhearted. So be piteous toward the other person. View them with pity. And forgive, the motivation being the fact, God forgave you. And if you don't think you were just as bad or even a lot worse, something is wrong with you. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you forget what somebody did, but it does mean you no longer hold punishment against them. So forgiveness is a pardon from punishment, so you no longer relate to them according to how they acted. You restore fellowship because they repented of how they acted, even though you're aware of what took place in the past. So this is the final key to maintaining fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and this is number three. You must practice His disciplines. So the key is disciplining your mind to focus in the realm of the Spirit. Mind the Spirit so that you can walk in the Spirit. Just look at what that resource will provide you. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. There on your handout, verse 16. For which cause we faint not. What? How, how do we keep from fainting? But though our outward man perish... Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Don't you ever feel like there's some things in your life that are just killing you? 
I mean, it is just killing you. Your job is just killing you. You're trying to go through and get your education, trying to do whatever you're doing. I mean, this marriage is just killing you. This stuff is just killing you. Uh, inflation is killing you. And, and, you know, unfulfilled desires are killing you. Okay. Though the outward man perish. Your inward man, your experience should be, that's being renewed day by day, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, take your focus off of that. Your problem is not your problem. The fact that you keep being obsessed with your problem is the problem. So look not at the things which are seen, but look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. It's not that they're not real. It's not that they don't hurt, but it is temporary. Whereas the things which are not seen, those are eternal. So discipline your mind to focus on the invisible, the spiritual, and the eternal. So as simply as I can say it. The way to get the Holy Spirit working for you is to prioritize Christ's glory, maintain family unity, and practice spiritual disciplines. Change your focus because as you discipline your mind and control your thoughts with God's thoughts, then the Spirit uses the right thoughts to cause right function. Okay, I just gave you the answer. Don't stop taking your medication. Didn't say to go off your medication. Let your doctor take care of that. But I did just give you the answer. As you discipline your mind by controlling your thoughts with God's thoughts, so you're going to change on his terms, not your terms, then the Spirit uses the right thoughts to create right function in your life, not dysfunction. So just what are the disciplines of the Holy Spirit? Were you asking good questions this morning? Because these are the practical avenues and practical adventures of grace in your life. These are the things that the Spirit uses to transfer to you God's grace. First letter A, cultivate the discipline of prayer. Two chapters later, two chapters after this, Ephesians 6 Verse 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Why are you praying in your flesh? Man, start asking for the things the spirit wants to provide and, and you'll start getting them. And you need to be watching thereunto. That, you need to be looking out for that. I mean, most of the stuff you worry about, it's only temporal anyway. Five minutes into eternity, nobody's going to care. Uh, so watch thereunto this way with all perseverance and supplication for all saints because you're part of a body. So prayer is continuous communion with God. That is absolutely critical, especially as it relates to your fellowship with the Spirit and His participation in your life. Why? Because prayer takes you out of the visible realm and places you on spiritual territory. And as long as you are self-centered, world-centered, visible-centered, physical-centered, you cannot be God-centered. What prayer does then is remove you from being self-centered and gives you a God focus. And when you have a God focus, you are enabled to give a faith response. So if you're trying to communicate with God, the idea is to close the gap 
by fellowship with the Spirit. Be taken out of yourself. Be detached from your situation. I know that's counter, 180 degrees counter to all secular counseling today because they say you need to really feel your situation. You need to get in your sin. You need to really, no, you need to be detached from your situation and humble yourself and be lifted to another sphere and bring, be brought boldly through his, to his throne of grace by prayer. So these are practical avenues of grace to your soul. So number two, second, letter B, cultivate the discipline of Bible reading. Okay, wait, because if you're spending little time in the Bible, you are spending little time with the Holy Spirit. And if you do not daily gather your manna, you will not be filled with the Spirit. If you are not filled with the Spirit, you are not able to walk in the Spirit. So discipline your mind to have the right estimation of of what is going on in your life by filtering it through the Bible. And then make sure that you are reading the Bible, employing the two kinds of reading. See, if it ain't practical, it ain't preaching. These two kinds of reading are what constitute your English Bible exegesis. Or if you're Hispanic, your Reina Valera. We got the King James, they got Queen Valera, and your Spanish Bible exegesis. Two things. Number one, meditation. And that means marinating, ruminating over the truth that's in the text. Meditation is not emptying your mind, focusing on your breathing, and chanting the name of Hindu God. Meditation is focusing your mind on the truth in the text. Let it sit for a while, you know. Uh, pause to ponder it in your thoughts, examine it from different directions, see it reflect and reflect, refract light. And then second, after meditation, do cross-examination of what you read. Cross-reference scripture. Bring in other passages. Let the Bible interpret itself. So talk to God. We call that prayer. Read the Bible. And third, third letter C, cultivate the discipline of fellowship with other believers. Acts 2 verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And a couple of ways they fellowshiped was breaking of bread and prayers. They had meals, ate together, meals together, and prayed together. And fellowship means partnership and participation in the mission. And we've got adult classes for that. We've got our harvest teams for that. Every one of our ministry and service teams also should experience that. And that is a release of the Spirit through mutual ministry. We've got to keep tight, and that does not mean everybody relating to everyone, but it does mean everyone relating to someone. You develop a partnership in the things that are greater than the both of you, and these are the practical avenues of grace to your soul. So in the final analysis, this is letter D, cultivate the discipline of enduring trials so that you can produce patience. Every now and then, God puts you through a trial. Say, Alan, you know, I feel like God's put me, started putting me through a trial like three years ago, four years ago, and that thing's not let up, and I'm still in that tunnel. Okay, but you know, every trial, whatever the season is, <coughs> however long it may be, is God being gracious to you. 
by allowing you to prove to yourself that you love yourself less than you love Jesus and his word. Why? Because you endure as seeing him who is invisible, Hebrews eleven twenty seven. <coughs> if you'll look on your handout at Romans chapter 8, here, this process that we're talking about, these deep things of God that we're discussing today, is what allows you to esteem reproach as riches. Because you know it's working for you a reward. It's what enables you to reject the pleasures of life for a season in order to embrace affliction with the people of God for a season. And you refuse to be called a son of this world system anymore. You refuse to be called a son or daughter of this world system. Uh, you refuse to be called a uh, son that was born in a daughter's, a daughter's body in this world system or whatever. So you give, you give that up so that you can identify with Christ. You can be who you are in Christ and you identify with God and the word of God. And, 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 and that is the necessary discipline to get you to where God wants you to be. Uh, Romans 8.13 says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Part of you dies whenever you live after the flesh. Whatever area, for however long, just more of it keeps dying. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And we're so messed up in our society and I'm almost certain I'm going to have to take one sermon in the series on grace and talk about grace related to certain societal issues and, and things like that because the issue is, is not that you want to be proud of who you are. The, the issue is the deeds of the body. You want to do those deeds. I mean, you simply want to do those deeds. It's not about being this or that or having this letter or that letter or the other letter or whatever color or whatever thing. No, it's just that I want to do that deed. And look, the whole world is now cheering me on so I can do that deed in the body that I want to do. Well, if, if you live based on your own power, your own energy, you die spiritually. And that's why some Christians are even ramped up in that. But if through the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body and stop living a fleshly lifestyle, stop having a carnal walk, then you can breathe. You can exhale because you're finally alive. I don't know if you've ever been late to catch an airplane. I hate those airports where you have to ride a shuttle to another terminal. Somebody needs to tell me if our new airport is going to have that or not, because I hate it, because uh, every single time I'm coming down the escalator, the shuttle door closes, and I miss my ride to the correct terminal. And I'm already late anyway, so now that's where i got to take my briefcase, grab my suitcase, and turn into O.J. Simpson. Watch it. Watch it. So here I am, I'm going down the corridor and I'm flying past those people who are just walking. And I get to the gate even before the shuttle arrives and where did I get all that speed when I had to carry all that baggage? 
Well, it's because when I started to run, underneath me was a moving sidewalk. And I was running, but the sidewalk was carrying me even faster than I could go on my own. That is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. He is a moving sidewalk. But you will notice there is your part and there is God's part. And God's providence has eyes. And when you repent, he repents just like that. You move, he moves just like that. When you start running to him, he starts moving to you. And when he starts moving to you, you start going faster than you could get there on your own. And you get there when you need to be there with power to spare. And that is the result of fellowship in the Holy Spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Grace is the finished work of Christ operating on your behalf as you activate it by faith. And you know, that definition is key to the saved and to the lost. If you're here today or you're watching and you've not yet trusted Jesus for eternal life, you're not saved, you're not born again. In other words, if you do not know that you have life after death, well, you need to put faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross so you can get saving grace. But you know, if you're saved, if you're born again, you need the same power of that same grace. It's grace, so you can't get it by working for it. You don't get it because you're good enough already to receive it. He's, he's called the Holy Spirit because you're unholy. No, you gotta, you have to exercise faith. You have to start giving faith responses. Are you ready for grace? All of heaven will rejoice if you get saved today because it glorifies Jesus for you to trust in his finished work for you on the cross. John 6, 47, Jesus says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Because of his finished work, Jesus offers you his life right now, which lasts forever. And it is your faith in his word that activates God's grace to save you. Will you exercise your faith to receive Jesus and be born again today? What a better day to do it. Father's Day and, and Juneteenth converging. John 1, verses 12 and 13 say, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you trust Jesus today for what he promises, you will be given everlasting life, a new birth will be taking place inside of you. And all you have to do is just pray. Just pray right now and say, Jesus, I trust you today for eternal life. I believe, so I receive. God, make me born again in Jesus' name. You know, if he with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to give a different kind of invitation today.
But I trust today that if, you know, if I preach on the Holy Spirit, we've, you've studied about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is moving today and he's going to move in your heart. And I want to give you the opportunity. I want to give this type of invitation. If you trusted, if you prayed and trusted Jesus today for eternal life, we just stand up right where you are, where you are, just stand up where you're at, move to the aisle and come here to the front. And if you're a guy, go up to the, one of the men here at the front. If you're a lady, go up to one of the ladies. Let us just have a word of prayer with you, cheer you on. I want to give you a copy of my book on next steps for the new believer. And secondly, if you're here and you're a Christian, but boy, you've imbibed the mindset of the world. I mean, in terms of the world, the flesh, and the devil, the devil's really using the world to get at our flesh because there's so much in social media. There is so much in our music. There's so much we are being brainwashed by. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, and you acknowledge that, and you want to recognize that and pray for God to change that, you stand up, come to an aisle, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just stand up, come here to the front, sit down. I mean, I, you need to lay yourself out before the Lord. You don't need to lay flat up here, but we've got open seats in the front. Just come up and pray. I mean, certainly if you need someone to pray with you, we're happy to do that. But otherwise, just come. Let's make the front row our altar this morning and just come and pray and say, Lord, I bought into it. I'm sorry. God changed my life. I, I want to give faith responses to it. I want to know what your word says and then give faith responses to it. So you can begin changing me and doing a work through me. It doesn't just last for eternity for me, but it brings others into my eternity with you. And certainly after we pray and after we get done, you can come up and talk with any one of our altar counselors here at the front. <clears throat> Go ahead and stand. Let's get ready to have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this day, Father's Day, Juneteenth, converging together. Lord, we could understand, particularly as men, and Lord, especially those of us who are men, which are fathers, that Lord, we've, it's time. We've got to get out of the gap. We cannot keep living in that gap because that enslaves our whole family. That puts shackles on our kids as they go forward, shackles on the students in this church. God, forgive us. Help us get out of that and to use everything we have in Christ and all of the Holy Spirit who is in us so that we can glorify you and glorify your name. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.